Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Ben, absolute pleasure to have you on the Stratocast. You know, we. We were, we were not the most consistent of Manchester United po- podcasts in recent years, but this year we've given it a real go and the listeners are really up. So after putting it out there, where I was going to speak to you, they're delighted to hear you're on the podcast. But, like, it's great to be here, Dale. It, it, it's great to be here. Uh, I've done plenty of these during the uh, during the, the lockdown since last March. So, um, yeah, they've always been really enjoyable. So it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I guess in, in many ways too, a lot of people are doing more of these kind of interviews. It's 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 kind of a coping mechanism at this stage during lockdown, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and it, it's a not it, you know it's a coping mechanism for for us as well. You know, it, it's it's just a a really really strange time to be living in, and uh, and it, it, I suppose it helps to keep the link when people can't get into stadiums and they're only watching you know football when it is on the TV. And I know obviously we went through a period from last March to, to when it restarted again in June when there was nothing happening at all. So it's a coping mechanism for everybody and it just helps to keep that link between the clubs and the supporters. And it isn't just Manchester United that have done it, I'm sure. So, um, so yeah, it, it's, been a, it's been a really, really good tool in that, in that respect. To go back to your story with Manchester United, take us back to how you joined the club. Because I realised you, you were with City at, beforehand, weren't you? I was. I was with City um, as Ryan Giggs was in the in the early stages of his of his teenage years, um, and I played for as Ryan did. I played for Salford Boys, uh, and Salford Boys' home ground was was just like a you know fifty yard walk from uh, from where the old clean, training ground was at the Cliff in uh, in Lower Broughton in Salford. So you very, very often got a lot of people coming down to, you know, to watch us from Manchester United when we were when we were playing there on a Saturday morning. Um, and then one evening I came in from school on a Friday. I was 14 and I had a, a pal of mine there with me. And we always used to sort of take it in turns. He would stay at my house. I would stay at his house alternative weekends. <clears throat> and it was my turn to stay with him. And I was sort of getting my stuff together and then we could carry on our walk to his house. And my mum and dad said, 
you know, you, you can't go tonight. You know, Jeff's welcome to stay here, but you can't go. You need to be here. And they were being a little bit sort of cloak and dagger about what the reason was. Anyway, um, we finished our evening meal. And within about half an hour, there was a knock on the door and my dad said, you need to go and answer that. Um, and it, my house was very open. Uh, I had a brother and a sister and we, we all had friends that used to come round and they always used to walk round the back of the house and come to the back door. It was only ever the postman and people that didn't know us that came to the front door. So it was a bit weird. Um, and I, I opened the inner door and through the glass, I could see standing there Sir Alex Ferguson and Brian Kidd. Um, and I just like froze, um, held on for a couple of seconds, then opened the door very cagely. Um, and, you know, I was greeted with the pair of them. And my mum and dad were then over my shoulder behind me and ushering them inside the house. And, and they were there to come and discuss me um, joining Manchester United, uh, either then or certainly when I left school at 16, which was still another two years away. Uh, and that's how it all came about. Sir Alex Ferguson actually paid me a visit to my house and, and it was a no-brainer for me. I, uh, I'd i always supported Manchester United. My dad had supported Manchester United. The, you know, pretty much the whole family who, who enjoyed football were, were all United fans. And, and that was my dream ever since I saw Brian Robson score for England against France in the 1982 World Cup. Uh, so to see the manager and the, the assistant manager, what would be Brian Kidd, standing there, uh, was um, was was surreal to say the least, um, and and the rest is history. I I did sign for Manchester United when I was or just before my sixteenth birthday, for ready for when I uh, ready for when I finished school. Did you and that's take? How it happened. Did you take a slagging from your mates at City that you were having? Well, I with? took a slagging from my mate at the time because the lad who was with me, my, my best at the time, Jeff. He was a City fan, <laughs> a staunch <laughs> City fan. Uh, and I seem to remember them having a, uh, him and Alex Ferguson having a, a little bit of banter in my, uh, in my hallway about the fact that he was a City fan. And, uh, and yeah, it, 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 was, um, it, it was just a, a, an incredible evening for me and, and obviously one that I will never forget. Fortunately as well, with your story, it comes a bit of heartbreak as well with the injury you suffered against Blackburn and how, how that just totally disrupted your career. Um, what I wanted to, to ask, Ben, if you don't mind, is when you were coming through at United, you were considered the star of that class in 92 with, with some great players in there. How was it for you after the injury, learning the damage you had done and then seeing those boys kick on, if you get me? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it, it, it needs to be said that and I've said it on record many, many times before, that despite what happened to me, Dale, those lads that I grew up with were always going to make themselves big names in the game. You know, David Beckham, Gary Neville, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs had already established himself as a, you know, as a first-team player uh, by the time he was 17. Um, Nicky Butt. And then there were others as well that you forget that left Manchester United at uh, a fairly early age, but still went on and had fabulous careers like Keith Gillespie, who played, you know, numerous times for Northern Ireland and played for Newcastle and Blackburn, Sheffield United. Robbie Savage, who played for Leicester and Blackburn and Derby, all in the Premier League. You know, these lads 
when you have um, a mix of the talent that they had with the fact that they were willing to learn with the coaches that we had under Eric Harrison, obviously Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, Jim Ryan was there. You know, we had um, we had a, an endless list of, of, of talented coaches. And when you have a blend like that, then you are going to get success. And Ferguson had the belief in those players. And I know that it's, you know, it's well documented about Alan Hansen saying, you know, you never win the title with kids after the 95 opening day when they lost 3-1 at Aston Villa. Um, but he, he knew that these lads were going to come good and they came good a lot quicker than probably he thought they might because that season they went on and, and won the league. So I think it's important that that I, I'm people understand that I'm not bitter about what these lads had. I mean, I went to the the Champions League final in '99, um, and I was the you know the first in the queue to congratulate them on uh, on what a spectacular feat that they'd managed to achieve winning that treble, um, and how far they'd come from the days that I was playing with us, and, and how hard they'd worked. And nobody was more proud that, that of me than, than my friends, if you like, that had, had gone on and, and done this magnificent thing. So I think that's always important that I do get that across, that as much as I envy them and as much as I would love to have, have you know, measured myself had the injury not happened about where my career might have gone and what I might have been able to achieve, um, I... I I um, I look back with with really really fond memories that I got an opportunity to play with these guys. But yeah, it, it obviously was difficult. I mean, I'd made my debut uh, when I was eighteen in February of nineteen ninety four, and the injury happened about six weeks later, uh, just at the time when there was a major possibility that the following weekend after the injury occurred that I would have played in the semi final against Oldham, and a lot of people will remember it for the fact that he went to a replay and Mark Hughes scored a brilliant volley from over his shoulder in the last taking to a replay. Um, and whenever I, I actually, you know, sort of hear about that season, I can't help but think that when that game does come up, that, you know, that was a game that I possibly might have played in. Um, and who knows how many other games I might have played in after that. Um, but it was just so significant that that was the game that I, I maybe should have played for the first team after making my debut. Um, unfortunately, the injury occurred after that. So that's always difficult. But, you know, there's a lot of time elapses then. We've had, what, you know, 20, what, tw nearly 27 years this year now. Um, and and I don't ever think about, you know, the, you know, woe betide me, you know, what, what's this and what's that you have to live for what you have and yeah. and I'm very grateful that I still got my health wonderful family um I, I'm doing a job that I love for a club that I'm you know I, I can't speak highly enough of so I have to I have to think of all the positives that that have now come out of it rather than rather than what what might have been you mentioned some of the coaching staff at Manchester United, Eric Harrison. Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson spotted something in him when he was to delegate him in front of, or in charge of of U Bunch. But what, looking back, did Harrison have that you don't think other U coaches had? I'm sure there's loads of elements to 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 his methods, but what stands out for you was he was he was he a patient guy? Was he was there a special touch with him? I think that. Like Sir Alex, um, he was he, he demanded that everybody worked hard. I mean, don't forget, we're going back to the days now where um, we 
were washing cars. We were sweeping boot rooms. You know, we were cleaning uh, first team players' boots after games. So when you think that, you know, at the time they might have had a, an evening game at Old Trafford in the, in the you know, European competition. Um, and after they'd all taken the boots off, we were in the boot room with the kit manager and we were cleaning boots. And, you know, at 16, 17 years of age, because you weren't driving either, you know, you weren't getting home until, you know, sometimes gone midnight. Uh, which, from when you, you're used to being at school and, and, and you know, going in for a reasonable time, you, you're thrust into, into a man's game and you're working. Uh, and and they, were, they were the things that he instilled into us that, you know, before you can get onto a football field, you need to have a grounding for, for what work is. And, and maybe to, to, to make you understand that you've got an absolutely fantastic job, a fantastic opportunity. You're here to play football that millions and millions of other people will have you do. But he always wanted to make you see the flip side of it, that, you know, this is something that if you don't put the work in, you could be doing on a daily basis. You know, you could be, you know, on a building site. And Eric Harrison used to say that all the time, you know, would you rather be on a building site than, than you know, coming in into these surroundings and, and doing something that you love? So I think that was something that they both had in common, that there was a grounding, there was a work ethic. They wanted you to succeed, but they also wanted you to do it with without any complacency of where you were and, and what you were doing. And I think that that with Eric was, was something that we'll all remember. I mean, there isn't anybody who I played with uh, either at the time, and then there were lads who went before, the likes of Norman Whiteside, who was under Eric, lads who definitely went, went after me. That they will all have really, really fond memories. Uh, listen, at the time, you 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 got your fair share of rollickings, yeah, and and yeah. that didn't change when you moved up into the first team either. You know, they, who were, caused, they were very much who caused the most mischief out of that young bunch. Oh, from, in in in, um, in my <laughs> in my day, it was um, it was a, another Salford-born lad called George Switzer. Who, uh, who, when we won the Youth Cup in 1992, he played behind me at left back, um, and he was uh, he was one of these that he, he was really cheeky. He, he was funny. Um, he'd sort of hide behind a wall down a corridor of the Cliff training ground, and if the manager had come out of the first team dressing room, he'd sort of hide behind a wall, shout his name, he'd go boss down the corridor and then duck his head back behind the wall and, 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 you know, sort of watch him look around. And eventually the manager became wise to it and he'd shout, Switzer! He said, I know that's you! <laughs> uh, but George definitely was the, was the clown in the dressing room, but, um, but a great player to play behind as well, I have to say. And, and I'd obviously, you know, played with him when he was at Salford Boys. He played in the same team as, as Ryan Giggs when Ryan was the captain of Salford. So, uh, yeah, a great lad, George. A great oh, lad. Well, yeah, we, we learned a lot from Eric. We did learn a lot from Eric, and uh, and uh, God bless him. He's not with us anymore, but we all owe a, a debt of gratitude to him. And obviously, you would have learned a lot too from the the senior players in the squad that you were you were you were mixing with. What were they like? What was Cantona like? Um, Eric was was a, a, an absolute gentleman. Um, he was he was the one person in the dressing room at that time um, where Sir Alex Ferguson would would want us to to sort of witness the way that he prepared for things. You know, if we were lucky enough to be in the dressing room for, for a first team game when we were we were 
you know, in the squad uh, or, or just about to make our debuts, etc. You know, he would always be the, the one person that Sir Alex would say, you know, look at his preparation, look at his focus, look, look at, at the way he, he takes himself off and he, he, he just prepares mentally uh, for what he's about to do. Um, and I, I, I didn't really have many dealings with him, obviously, because my, my first team involvement was was fairly limited in the time I was there. But when I did train with Eric uh, and I was lucky enough to play in a couple of games with him as well, uh, he, he was uh, he was an absolute gentleman and, and always gave the time to, you know, to say hello, to have a chat with you. I always remember that when the Cliff Training Ground had school holidays uh, and school holidays were on and we had the fences up uh, so the fans could come in but not encroach any further. Eric, um, Eric Cantona always, even though he was the last one through the door to start training, he was always the last one to leave as well because he, he stayed on the training ground longer than everybody else. And he then went outside and, and didn't leave until everybody's autograph was signed. So a massive influence on the field, but also uh, a, a real, a, a real sort of guidance factor off it as well about how to, how to, how to, to, to go about being a professional footballer. Um, and like I said, an amazing player. For you, are the comparisons with Eric Cantona and Bruno Fernandez are they fair? I think that certainly with the way that Eric had a, an immediate impact and and the way that Bruno's done that. I can understand why there certainly would be a, a comparison uh, as to how he, he has just... I'm not saying he's done it by himself, but certainly you do get an, an impression that one person and just that one person can come in and, and, and excuse me, and lift a whole side. And Bruno has done that. Um, and probably in terms of where he got, where Bruno has gotten Manchester United to in the last 12 months, even more so because of the goals and the assists that he scored, as 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 much as Eric scored some extremely important goals, uh, you know, and won games by himself. I think Bruno has done that in his first season, um, even even more than the, than Eric. So I think there are definite comparisons that um, that, that are very much justified. Uh, Bruno has has scored. I think it's like 20, 27 or 28 goals. He's had he's had a, a huge amount of assists as well, more than any of the top five leagues in Europe. Uh, and that is 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 not easy to do when you're coming into a club like Manchester United because you see many, many players that come in with huge reputations that just don't live up to the hype and are not able to cut it at a club like United. Uh, but Bruno Fernandes, like Eric Cantona, like Wayne Rooney did when he came in, I think it's important not to forget what he did on his own debut when he scored the hat-trick against Fenerbahce. And, and obviously we know what, what he went on and did. So yeah, there have been players that have come in, but certainly those three, I can, I can understand why there will be a comparison drawn with all of them. Psychologically, you'd have to wonder what it is that's, you mentioned Cantona, you mentioned Bruno Fernandes, Wayne Rooney as well. The players that just seem to fit Manchester United. Um, there's been several big names in, the, in, in recent years and beyond that have come in with big fees and just, and just couldn't, couldn't do it. Um, you know, you go back to Varane. 
he was signed and he, people thought he would have been much better than what he was. He just could not replicate his form for Manchester United. The club was too, was, I don't know, was it too big or what it takes for that person. But Wayne Rooney is a perfect example, you know, as a kid as well to break onto the scene and to really kind of demand his place. Um, it, it's, I don't know what it is, but there, there's something in it. But, um, but Ben, at the moment, you mentioned you love the job you're doing now with MUTV and commentating on games and they do a really good job at that. Um, how much do you enjoy commentating on the youth games? Does it give you that kind of extra interest in the youth games that you probably wouldn't have now if you weren't at the game? Yeah, I think that, um, I think there's a, there's a couple of things there. When you, when you're at the club, I think it, it's really important that, um, even though I'm, I'm very fortunate and, and love doing what I do commentating with the first team, um, I also do the commentary for the under 23s when the two games don't clash. And this past weekend was a perfect example of that. I was down at, at Arsenal for the uh, for the game on Saturday evening, but our under 23s kicked off a few hours earlier against Liverpool when Diallo made his um, made his bow and, and scored two goals of the six that we put past Liverpool in the under 23s. Um, and I, I, under normal circumstances, would have would have done the commentary for for that game. Um, uh, but I had to miss that. I've I've done a couple of commentaries for the women. Um, I I will when it, it does resume do the commentary for the for the FA Youth Cup, and that is something that obviously in in my first year with the the lads that I've already mentioned that will always hold a special place. And I I, I really do feel as though the FA Youth Cup is is something that Manchester United hold very very dear. Um, before we won it in '92, we haven't won it since the, the the 50s or the 60s. It was it was getting on for 30 years anyway. We're going through a bit of a break now, aren't we? As well, it hasn't been. Yes, since we are. It, it was Paul Pogba's team, Jesse Lingard's team, uh, um, Will Keane's team. I think it was in 2011. So Tonnencliffe as well. It, sorry, Tonnencliffe and Norwood. Yeah. Norwood was there as yeah, well. Yeah, Oliver Nor- Yeah, so it, it, it's 10 years. Um, and they were due to play their um, their next round against Salford City, would you believe? Uh, who obviously Gary Neville and uh, the boys from the class of '92 are, are, are very much a big part of. Um, but because of the pandemic, that was that was postponed for the time being. Now I'm pretty sure that um, I know that the the UEFA Under 19 Youth League, where Manchester United have drawn Real Madrid. Uh, that will be played at the start of, of March. Now I'm I'm thinking that hopefully when it, when things or if things continue to go in the same vein where we are seeing a, a drop off in the number of cases and the, the number of deaths that we're having each day, which is obviously still too many, then there will be a resumption of the FA Youth Cup, and and I'm really looking forward to that because should United get past Salford City, and no disrespect, but a United team that are doing really well at under-18 level this year should get past Salford City, then it sets up a, a mouth-watering fourth-round tie against Liverpool. So uh, if the United are going to win it this year, then they are going to do it the hard way. But they're, they're going great guns in the the, uh, the Northern League at the moment at under-18 level, and, and they've got a really, really good chance. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But at the moment, we don't know when the resumption of that, of, of that FA Youth Cup is going to be yet. Hopefully, because we're due one, Ben. Um, moving on, just sticking to MUTV before we finish up with just some quick-fire questions. Um, from your access to MUTV, 
you're obviously very lucky to be attending games now and, and traveling to these games and a lot of fans unfortunately can't yet what have you learned from being around the team this season and they say the mood inside the camp because what I, what I, what I, from what I've taken no matter what bumps we've had along the way the camp has always seemed very happy and very much behind the manager we've seen now with this kind of resurgence that the players are finally getting what they deserve um, I know we've a bit, a bit of a rocky patch at the moment and questions will be asked to that but you have to give so much credit for the position that we're in right now and we've, we, we've, we do week-to-week podcasts, Ben. And after games, people kind of react sometimes and can be knee-jerk maybe. But the ultimate thing is you look at the position we're in and you look at the positions we were in the last, say, five to six years. It's not bad. It's actually very encouraging. Well, certainly this season, without any question. And I think even, even if you go back to the resumption of last season, when you know United were were a long way adrift yeah. for most Rit- of that season, yeah, written off. And, yeah, exactly, completely written off. You know, nobody nobody had us down as uh, as putting a run together that we did um, when we first kicked off against Spurs in June, uh, and for us to end up where we ended up, and still on this fabulous run of away games, unbeaten, eighteen now which is a club record, um, that there has to be an immense amount of credit to, to Oli Gullasocia, to his coaching staff. I think the addition of, of Darren Fletcher to his coaching staff is a, is a really, really, you know, really good appointment, a really good appointment. I've known Darren for a number of years and, and he's, um, he's a winner. He was somebody that Sir Alex used to really rely on in the big games. So he knows what it's like and he knows the mentality and he's brilliant to have around the dressing room and obviously a very knowledgeable guy. He's got Michael Carrick, who's been there and done it. He's got Kieran McKenna, who, who I've got a lot of respect for, who, who, who did wonders with the youth team and then was given the step up and he's doing exactly the same. Mike Phelan as well, who's a, a really creditable coach. So he's got a number of people around him who, um, who, who I'm sure he can bounce ideas off and when they get together, they've obviously come out with the perfect blend that has gotten Manchester United to where they are. Yes, you know, it, it, it's still... Not the finished article say, yet. It's not the finished article, we know that. And we know that Oli Gunnar is, is happy at the moment for certain players to, to leave the club. Um, both in order to bring other players in to strengthen the squad and also to help them develop and further their careers. Uh, you know, they don't want to stagnate and just sit, you know, not doing anything. Because unlike the days of when I was playing, that if a first-team player and a number of first-team players weren't involved and didn't get on the field on a Saturday afternoon, let's say, then a Monday night or a Tuesday night when the reserve games came around, then you would expect, you know, maybe three or four of those players to get put into the into the reserve side with you, which was great. And I think that I miss that actually, that that players don't get a chance to still play at some level during the during the course of a week. But obviously now it's turned to the under-23s, that very, very rarely happens unless a, a player's coming back from injury. So it, it, he has done a remarkable job to get Man United where they are. 
And like I said, it's not the finished article yet. And we we, we know that because we've had a, a couple of... Uh, the result against Arsenal, actually, at the weekend wouldn't have been a bad result considering how they've had a bit of a resurgence. But if you couple that with the fact that we lost and didn't play well at all against Sheffield United last Wednesday, then it turns a nil-nil draw at Arsenal into not a great result. And obviously you end up drop, dropping five points out of six and coming off the back of knocking Liverpool out of the FA Cup and scoring three fabulous goals. You just sort of stop and, and wonder where that sort of a performance and a result comes from. So if they can eradicate that, they need to improve their home form uh, and I think it, it, it goes without saying that if we are to to challenge at the end of the season for that Premier League title, um, games against Liverpool, Man City, Spurs, Chelsea, um, Leicester, that we've all still yet to come up against in the second half of the season, we haven't beaten any of those teams yet. Yes, I know we're not Liverpool at the FA Cup, but I'm talking about the Premier League. Okay. And I think that is important that we that we can improve our form. Um, it's been tipped on its head a little bit, really. Our form against the top six last year wasn't bad at all. And it was at the lower echelons of the league where we let ourselves down. Apart from the Sheffield United game on Wednesday night, we, we hadn't done that. You know, we were beating teams at the bottom, but we need to take points at the, from the teams at the top if we are going to win this Premier League. I look at our results against the big six, that's what they call us on the top six, but the big six, you mentioned last season, and yeah, it was better last season. But I look at the results this year, and although some of them are bad, still very, very fine lines, because some of those games we could have won. Um, And it's an amazing stat also that against the big six this season, we've only managed to score once, and that was the 6-1 defeat against Spurs. But still... I still feel it's still fine margins in a lot of those games. Like I feel the Chelsea at home at the beginning of the season, I just always felt the fans were at that game or when the last 10 minutes are very different. Um, games like the game against Arsenal at Trafford, that was an off performance. That, where did that come out of? We should be winning those games. We know the team is capable of winning those games. So it's very fine lines. Yeah, they are fine lines. Um, I know that, You've already mentioned the six-one defeat. I mean that that is uh, that, that's something that obviously wasn't fine lines. We, on yeah. the day we just yeah. didn't play well enough. Yeah. But the Arsenal game, yes, we we should quite easily have won that. It was a poor performance. Um, even the Man City game, we we you know we we had chances to win that. Um, we played. I know that you don't think of them as top six, but you can't argue that Leicester are up there. We did go to, to the King Power and score twice and, yeah, and we're actually yeah. much the better side. Um, but yeah, you, you're absolutely right. These are the games where United, even on Sunday, on Saturday against Arsenal, the chances that we created should have been enough to have won that game. Um, and it's great that we're still creating them. Don't get me wrong. But creating them and not finishing them are, 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 like you said, they're, they're fine lines. Yeah. Uh, and we could quite easily won two or three of those games by a single goal margin. But the fact of the matter remains, we didn't score goals and we drew two of those games nil-nil against Chelsea and against City. And we drew 2-2 with Leicester, lost to Arsenal. Um, and obviously we, we drew with Liverpool as well. So, you know, we, we do need to, um, we do need to improve those stats because at the moment it was us. We were in, in pole position, 
Um, but obviously, with the with the last two results, it's now gone to City. Uh, it makes for a mouthwatering game between them and Liverpool on Sunday. And with the two games that United have got coming up now, we really, really need to capitalise on that because one or both of Liverpool and City will drop points on Sunday. And United need to make sure that after playing Everton on, on Saturday night, that they, they're in pole position to take up full advantage of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I just think on, on those results against the big six, I think the reaction this season to the, the draw at Anfield was very, very telling because... For me to, to ever get a point at Anfield is a good result, but there was there was a little bit of a different tone in the reaction from supporters that were really really disappointed that we didn't win that game. And I was yeah. just think, I was just thinking back to a year ago, there is no way people would have been thinking like that because Liverpool were so far ahead of United in the table and so far ahead in terms of performance. But surely people can see the overwhelming positive that now it disappoints us to not be beating them. And that's, yeah. and that's the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and that, that is just how far United have come in, in, in the space of 12 months. When Liverpool beat us the last time we lost away from home at Anfield in January of last year, they went 30 points clear of Manchester oh, United yeah. at, that, at that time. And, um, and we finished the stronger, and in the league game, we finished the stronger of the two teams. If anybody was going to win that game, it was going to be Manchester United. And you come away from Anfield feeling deflated, not relieved that you've got a point, but a little bit deflated that actually, do you know what? We, we could and should have probably won that game. Um, so that is just how far Manchester United have come. They're not you know, accepting like they did last year, that they were beaten by a better team who were mm. a, a lot further ahead in the table. 12 months on, they've gone to Anfield. They've looked like the stronger team going into the last 20 minutes, half an hour, and, and could have won it. And, uh, and were disappointed that they weren't. And that just shows not only the quality that they, they are producing, but also the mentality that has been instilled into these players mm. that, listen, last year was false there's no way that Liverpool should have been that far in front and we need to bridge that gap and in 12 months they've done that to the extent where they're in front of them in the table now I realise that there's a long way to go and I realise that we have to play them we have to play City we have to play Spurs Chelsea again um, but there is no reason why Manchester United, after after half the season, found themselves on top of the pile. So there is absolutely nothing to suggest that if they replicate the same sort of form and get a couple of wins against these top teams, that United cannot go on. And this is the best chance that they have had since Sir Alex Ferguson left to to, to win this Premier League title. And, um, and yes, City are, are in pole position at the moment, but like I said, someday that may change and then it, it starts to become back in Man United's hands again because obviously we have them to play in March. And I'm just happy that we're involved again. And I hope for however long it lasts, then I'm happy because it's nice to be in this conversation. It's, it, it, it's not so nice listening to um, Sky, whoever, bang on every year about how, how many points City and Liverpool are racking up and we're not even in that kind of mix. Do you know what I mean? Now we're kind of in the conversation. Now that might not last long. We've seen this season with Chelsea and Spurs. They sat at the top and then just fell. Hopefully that won't be the case with us. I think we have enough good players to, to ride out what we're kind of seeing as a bit of a storm at the moment. And hopefully that starts with Southampton. Um, ben, before I let you go and, and carry on with the rest of your morning, a few questions sent in from listeners. 
Um, I'm going to start with Damien Young. We said, coming through the youth ranks, who was your idol? Um, Brian Robson. Brian Robson. Yeah, Brian Robson was uh, was somebody that I'd uh, I'd watched. I, I've already mentioned when he when he scored the goal against uh, against France in the '82 World Cup, uh, and then what? Less than ten years later, I'm walking through the Cliff Training Ground and uh, coming down the stairs as I'm going up the stairs is is Brian Robson. Um, and to not only be in the same building as him, to be in his company, but also to to actually take the field with him as well. Um, he was actually playing when I when I did my knee in uh, in 1994. So he he was somebody that I'd idolised. I mean, going through the 80s, it, it's difficult to to call Manchester United a, a one man team. But when you think of somebody that just drags your team to cup finals and and to you know, to to getting close to winning the league. Um, he was the the one man that did it. And then to actually be on the same pitch as him and in the same in the same dressing room as him was uh was surreal for me. But uh, always Brian Robson was the was the, the player for me. Would you say throughout the class of ninety two that was a common view? That Brian Robson Yeah, I I I would certainly say so. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that, that there was I mean, um I know that Gary Neville, for example, um, he always used to include Norman Whiteside uh, uh, when he spoke about Ryan Robson as somebody that he always looked up to, and I think that was because of of how how early he made his debut for Man United and the fact that he he was the youngest ever scorer in a World Cup and or uh, the youngest ever to play in a World Cup and and the the youngest to score in a in a in a cup final at Wembley. So you know Norman Whiteside was up there. Paul McGrath was another one for for the lads who who played as as defenders. So we all had we all had different ones that we that we aspired to and that we idolised. Uh, but I, I think everybody would have mentioned Brian Robson. Except what um, Jamie Carragher said a few years ago, growing up, my idol was Gary Neville. Um, Jamie Carragher said a few years ago that no one ever wanted to grow up and be a Gary Neville. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I did. (laughs) I did. Um, Fabiola talks about our new signings in the youth teams, especially Hogan and McNeil, plus our chances to win the Premier League North. Yeah, they're in a. They're in a. I think they've only. Um, I think they've. They've either only drawn one or only lost one of the games that they played so far. Um, they they've got goals in them. Um, the new signings that have come in, maybe not for under eighteen level. You mentioned Joe Hugely. I said Diallo scored two. Well, Joe Hugo scored four against Liverpool on yeah, on Saturday. He's scoring goals for fun. Yeah, he, he's done extremely well and I've watched him in, on numerous occasions in the in the under 23s and and he is a number 9, you know, he wants to be a number 9. He wants to get in the box, he wants to score goals. That's all he's interested in and obviously that's coming good for him at the moment. Uh Pelistri, who came in for the under 23s, he's now going out on loan to get a lot more experience at Alaves in Spain. Uh Fernandez who's also come in from Real Madrid, left back, looks very exciting. And obviously Diallo, that a lot of people are talking about because of the money that was spent on him, because we've had to wait for him till January for him to come in from Atalanta. But he plays his first game for Manchester United and and scores two goals. And not only that, but takes a a Penenka penalty as well. So he's obviously a a lad with not just a lot of talent, but a lot of confidence. Uh, And if you've got that, you need an air of... Um, an, an air of arrogance about you to play for Manchester United, an air of self-belief 
uh, that, that this is not going to be too big for you. And he looks like somebody that could uh, that could eventually come into United squad and into the team and perform. Just two more questions, Ben. Um, we, we, uh, you, you mentioned Diallo and he scored two against Liverpool, Palestri as well. Um, a lot of people listening would, would want to know what you've seen from, say, Palestri since he's come in the summer. And obviously he's heading out on loan. But um, in the U teams, what, what have you picked up from his performances? Well, he, he, when he first came in, um, I watched his first two or three games and his involvement was a little bit scarce. But then over a period of time of watching him, um, he developed the, the, the ability to, to sort of phase out what it was that was sort of holding him back in the first place. And that's obviously going to be down to, to the coaching staff, Neil Wood and, and Nicky Butt, who are doing a fab, fabulous job there. Um, and he started to run at players. You know, he was brought in as a, as a wide player that was exciting to watch and, and that wasn't afraid of taking players on. And I think that the old-fashioned winger, if you like, is a bit of a dying art in, in football at the moment. When you think of um, when I first joined the club and you had the likes of Ryan Giggs and Andre Conchelsius and Lee Sharp, you know, exciting players that were that wanted to square a full-back up and, 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 and beat players and be exciting. And Palistri started to look like one of them. And not only that, but there was an end product as well. He, he, he started to score goals. And I think that that him going out to Alaves is a, is a way and a, and a tool for, for the coaching staff at United, for him to go on and, and, and improve that and, and get the experience playing um, first-team football in Spain, where he's going to be comfortable because the language is there. And I think that he's like, he, he can actually speak the language. His English is good. Um, but I think that for for uh, for him to be able to relax, going to Alaves and playing first team football is a is a way for him to further his education and and to come back a, a better, stronger player. So uh, so yeah, he he's been uh, he's been been really good, and hopefully when he comes back, which will be the summer now for pre season, he'll be even better. Finally, Ben, I want to get your thoughts on Phil Neville taking over the managerial position that. It- Inter Miami with David Beckham. Um, I suppose obviously you wish for all the best in America, but were you surprised by the news? Did you think back back years ago that two of your U teammates would be taking over Major League Soccer? <laughs> no, I didn't. But um, but listen, Phil has uh, has cut his teeth into management. He obviously he had a difficult time of it when he went with his brother to to Valencia. Um, but I think that gave him the taste and he's done a super job with the with the England women's team. Um, and I know that um, it would have been a difficult decision for him um, when he'd already decided that he was leaving, but after the Euros. Um, but the temptation, obviously, to, to link up with, with one of his, his ex-teammates, which is going to be a, a really exciting project um, when, when David takes into Miami you know, and really as an assault on the MLS. Um, and he's got somebody in with the knowledge of Phil, with his ability to be able to man-manage as well. Um, and yeah, I, of course, I wish him all the best. He's, a, he's an absolutely fantastic lad, completely different to his brother, but, um, <laughs> but a very, very knowledgeable guy. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I wish him and, and David and into Miami, you know, the, the best of luck for, for what is going to be their forthcoming season, which will start, what, the beginning of next month. It's never too late to send a text message and try to get the assistant manager's job or... 
Ben, absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. How can people follow you on Twitter? What's your username? Um, do you know what? I, I haven't actually got a clue what my username is. You're asking me on the top, but uh, <laughs> no worries. What, what I'll do is I'll, I'll stick a link in the description of the podcast. Yeah, stick a link in. Yeah. You. Brilliant. You took me by surprise there, Dale. I'm not too sure myself. <laughs> no problem. I thought that was the easiest question. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the one I couldn't answer. <laughs> ben, thanks so much. And a real pleasure having you on the show. Like I said, hopefully come the end of the season that we can get you back on and we can have a positive chat about how things ended on a positive note, but we won't we won't count our chickens before they hatch. No, but let's keep our fingers crossed we can yeah. do that, Dale. Absolutely. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.